right. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. I hope that you are all having a wonderful morning. Um, thanks for joining us this Sunday. Uh, we're going to dive into the Word in a minute. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7, or if you're following along in your Sermon on the Mount Scripture Journal, if you got one of those, uh, you can open it to this page. Uh, beautiful picture there of Zion National Park. Uh, open it up to that page. We'll dive into that in just a minute. But before we do, I have a really, really, really important announcement for you. Uh, if you call Flourishing Grace Church home, you live here in Utah, um, you probably know this already, but our governor, uh, Gary Herbert, the governor of Utah, uh, announced last week that beginning last Friday, two days ago, um, that we're going to begin to kind of loosen some of the restrictions that have been placed on us uh, as a state. Uh, very carefully, very cautiously, we're going to begin to um, we're kind of re-engage and reopen some of the local businesses, um, some of the local industries, and just kind of kind of get the economy in Utah started again. Now, uh, the reality is this is this is exciting news, but it's also um, kind of risky news all at the same time. And I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, everybody it seems like uh, right now has an opinion on uh, what is the right thing to do. It's amazing how in a month, um, so many people. Um, who never went to school and never never got an education in it have become experts on infectious diseases. It's incredible. It's a, it's amazing um, how smart people can get in a month. Maybe. Um, no, all joking aside, uh, it doesn't really matter what, what your opinion is on it. We all have a position and opinion. The, the truth is, is that um, this this is a risky thing for many people. Um, and yet it is uh, a necessary thing for the sake of so many people. Uh, people need to get back to work and to begin to make a living and, and find jobs and provide for their family. And yet it's, it's risky all at the same time. And so we're in this weird space and weird time and where, where it's like excitement and worry all at the same time. For us here at Flourishing Grace, um, here's what we are going to do. Okay, we are going to begin to put our toe back into the water as well. Next Sunday, May 10th, we are going to shift from a Sunday at home model, which is what we've been doing right now. Right now, you are watching this. Um, uh, if you're watching it live Sunday morning, uh, you're sitting there in your pajamas. You're probably stuffing your face full of pancakes or maybe you just got done eating some breakfast. Um, I just busted you. I can see you. I can smell your morning breath uh, through the camera, right? In the comfort of your own home, all right, you are watching this kind of Sunday at home model. And we're going to begin to gather again. We're going to shift to what we're calling a house church model. We're going to gather next Sunday uh, all throughout Davis County, South Davis County, um, in house churches. Uh, groups of 20 or less will begin to gather next week um, in homes throughout Davis County. These are not small groups. These are house churches. There will be a house church leader. And that house church leader will lead the gathering. They will lead um, everything from our call to worship, our confession, uh, offering, communion, announcements. All of those things will be orchestrated by the house church leader. We will still have a video music time, a video preaching time, uh, but everything else will be led by that local house church 
leader. We're working with these leaders right now to prepare them and equip them for next Sunday and the Sundays to come. We will have kids ministry, a kids ministry leader in those local house churches beginning next Sunday. For the ones that have children in the home, there will be um, a lesson provided for them, uh, games and curriculum, and all of those things will be provided for those local house churches. We are excited about this, but like I said before, it's exciting it's also a, a little worrisome. Uh, here, here's what I want to make very, very, very clear. We're going to dip our toes back in the water the, the safest we possibly can. And so we are going to require all of our house church leaders to wear masks next Sunday. We're going to strongly urge and request, not for your sake, but for the sake of everybody else, that if you choose to attend a house church next Sunday, you also wear a mask. Um, we're going to restrict food at these gatherings for now. There's not going to be snacks and breakfast and all those things that we would, we would love to have. We would love to um, kind of gather around a meal and share in a meal together. We're not going to do that. We're not going to have any food at these gatherings. Um, it's going to be a social time uh, minus the food. Soon enough, friends, soon enough we will have food again um, and we'll be able to engage in that way again. We're going to do this as safe as possible. I, I want to say this as strongly as I possibly can. If, if you are at all, at all feeling like you might be sick, it, it might be just a, a little bit of cough, a little bit of a runny nose, I, I don't care what it is, a, a slight fever. You, you say it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. Please stay home. We will continue to stream just like we are right now. You can watch this in the comfort of your own home, keeping everybody else around you healthy and safe. Love your neighbor well. Stay home. If you feel like maybe you've been exposed to someone who may be sick, maybe, you're like, oh, probably not, but maybe, stay home. Please, please. For those of you who are in an at-risk category, maybe you have a pre-existing condition, maybe it's because of age, whatever it may be, listen, I, I want to urge you to take your time on this. L listen to me. This will pass. It will pass. This, this, this will pass. There, there will come a day when we are gathering in this building again, the whole church as one body gathering together again. It's going to come. It's going to come. There'll be come a day when, when you can gather in a, in a house church. But maybe today's not that day for you. Take your time. Be safe. Be responsible. Think this through. If you feel like you're ready, let's engage together. If you're unsure, stay home. Continue to engage in this way. Continue to do Sunday at home. For those of you who are... Um, feel like you're ready to gather, we'll be gathering next Sunday in house churches. So how do you get plugged into a house church? Well, um, we're going to have house church leaders, again, like I said, throughout all of South Davis County. If you are in, currently in, participating in um, a regular Flourishing Grace small group, which have been on pause for a season, but if you were in one before that, an irregular participant, okay, you are regularly attending, okay, um, a a small group leader will contact you about what house group, house church they're going to be in, okay? They will contact you about what house church they're going to participate in and invite you to participate with them. If you are not in a small group, right, for whatever reason, okay, you can go to our website, flourishinggrace.org, 
And on our website, on the main page, you'll learn everything you want to learn about house churches. There will be a link there. there. Right now, today, there's a link there. You can sign up for a house church for next Sunday. You say, man, I want to participate. I want to engage in the local gathering that is going to be taking place in someone's living room. I want to show up. I want to sing together. I want to open the word together. I want to do the work of worship together. I, I want to engage in that way next week. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Sign up today. S- sign up today. Um, if you wait till Friday to sign up, I-, I cannot promise you that we will get you in one by Sunday. Um, we are doing this as carefully and as strategically as we possibly can. We're limiting these gatherings to no more than 20 people total. Um, and so if they fill up and you try to get in by Friday, I, I, can't, I can't promise that we'll get you in. Um, you might have to wait to the following week. And so if you want to gather with us next week, sign up today. Today, sign up today. Um, today, sign up today. Um, we, we're going to begin these. I, I hope that that's clear. I hope that that makes sense. The, the reality is, is that we see the need and the importance of gathering together. And at the same time, we want to be wise. We want to be good stewards. We want to be very careful and cautious. We don't want anybody, we don't want anybody to be um, affected deeply um, by this disease. And so uh, we're going to do everything we can on our end, and we're asking and encouraging you to do everything you can on your end. This is a great opportunity for us. And there's one last thing I want to say before we get into the Word. I do view this as an opportunity. The reality is is that your neighbors right now, the people living around you, are not gathering. Their their church, their religion is not gathering. And so what would it look like for you to take the next few weeks of your life and to view this as, as, as something that you'll never get this chance again? Uh, hope prayerfully, hopefully, we'll never go through this again. You'll never have this opportunity again. An opportunity to just so simply, so easily say to your neighbor, hey, this Sunday, a group of my friends are going to be gathering at my house or a friend's house. We're going to be singing together. We're going to open the word together. We're going to just look at the Bible together. Um, this is how our church is gathering in this time. I, I know you don't have anything going on. Would you, would you and your family want to come and, and gather with us? No, no strings attached. Just come and open the Bible with us. How wonderful an opportunity do you have laid before you right now? Flourishing Grace, as your pastor, I, I just want to stress this. This is an amazing opportunity for you. Over the past few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been talking about how um, what we do in this life matters in eternity. I, I, I want to communicate as frankly and as strongly as I possibly can, what you do over the next few weeks will matter in eternity. I want you to view this as a great opportunity. I want you to walk wisely, but I want you to walk boldly as we move into this next season for us as a church. Someday, we will gather together again. What that will look like will be influenced by the choices you make over the next few weeks. I love you. I cannot wait for next Sunday. It's going to be beautiful. Um, Until then, uh, let's dive into the Word this morning. All right. We are in Matthew 7. Verses 12 through 14. Matthew 7, verses 12 through 14. This uh, verse 12, Matthew 7, verse 12, is well known. 
Um, it's maybe, uh, it's, it's one of the most famous passages in, in all of Scripture. Um, people all around the world know it. Um, it's been uh, said by uh, presidents and kings and uh, all, all kinds of celebrities and all kinds of people. They know this verse, or at least kind of know this verse. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It's known as the golden rule. The golden rule. In fact, the, the, the way it got that name, the golden rule, it's thought anyways, this is the way it got the name the golden rule, is that an emperor of Rome, okay, Alexander Severus, um, an emperor of Rome, he was around 230 AD, somewhere in that range, um, he was so kind of taken aback by this teaching of Jesus that he said, man, th- this is this is so kind of all-encompassing, so concise, so beautiful, so wonderful. He had it inscribed in gold um, in his royal chamber, on the wall in his royal chamber. And that's where it got the name, the Golden Rule. It became kind of the Golden Rule for the Roman Empire. That guy um, was not a Christian. He was not a follower of Jesus. Um, he was just kind of blown away by this teaching. Here is that teaching. Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus says this. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this, this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gates, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is Hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, if you were to ask the average person on the street, or maybe, maybe if I was to ask you this morning, what is the golden rule? Um, so many people, as I said earlier, kind of celebrities and presidents and kings and, and queens and all kinds of people kind of quote the golden rule. But we kind of misquote it. If you were to ask them, you know, what is the golden rule, you would hear something like this. Um, Treat others the way you want to be treated, which is a good summary. Um, Do unto others as you would want done to yourself. Pretty close. But that's not what Jesus says. The first word of the golden rule is not do or treat. It's not. The first word of the golden rule is so. So, in any time kind of in the Bible or in any written word or language that you see the word so or therefore, um, we, we realize that, that the person who is teaching here is, is kind, of, kind of putting a bow on their teaching. They're, they're, kind of, they're kind of saying, here is the kind of the application of all that I've been talking about. Here's how you should now live. Therefore, because of all that I've said, therefore, here it is. This This golden rule is the summary of everything that Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Not not just the past few weeks, but yes, the past few weeks. The past few weeks and kind of this section on judgment, Jesus has been saying again and again and again, the way you live in this life will matter in the next the way you live in this life will matter next. And he's still in this theme, right? He began back in chapter 6 by saying, listen, the way you store up and stockpile, don't, 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 don't store up treasure on earth, don't lay up treasure on earth, lay up treasure in heaven. The way you invest your time, your talent, your resources, your money, your stuff, it matters in eternity. Don't store up here, store up there. 
Don't be anxious about the things of this world. Trust in God, your Father in heaven. He knows what you need, right? So, 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 so seek first the kingdom of God. Binger went into that beautiful passage on judging others. The way that we treat others in this life matters in the next. Don't judge unless you want to be judged by the same measure. The way we judge people will also be judged in the next, right? And then last week, we talked about this idea about how God wants to come alongside of us in this life and help us to live out the Sermon on the Mount. The way we depend on God and cast ourselves on Him will matter deeply in the next life because only He's the one. He's the only one who's going to help us live this out. But the reality is not just in this past section on judgment and this life and the next life, but in the whole Sermon on the Mount, this is the summary. In fact, in fact, Jesus says, this isn't just a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. He says it this way in verse 12. He says, for this is the law in the prophets. It's the law in the prophets. It's a total, complete kind of call to action of every law and every teaching of every prophet in the Old Testament. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute, but here's what might surprise you this morning. Jesus didn't come up with this. He didn't come up with it. He perfected it, but he didn't come up with it. Jesus' original audience didn't say, wow, I've never heard that before. They said, yeah, I know. Like, yeah, I know. I've, I've, I've heard that. You see, uh, a few months ago, we talked uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we talked about the, the passage on divorce. Um, and in that passage on divorce, we talked about the two leading kind of schools of thought in that day, right? You had these two rocks, kind of a generation before Jesus. You had these two massively, wildly popular rock star rabbis. You had uh, one uh, Rabbi Shema'i, um, and he was uh, kind of the the, the kind of the, the the Republican of the day. He was he was strict and staunch, like this is how it is, um, and very black and white. Um, this is this is how it's going to be. This, he was the very conservative um, leader of the day, um, and a lot of people in the nation of Israel followed him and followed his teaching. He was very much kind of the letter of the law. This is how we live. This is what we do. There's no exceptions. Boom, 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 boom. And then on the other side, you had Elder Hillel, Rabbi Hillel. He went by Elder Hillel, um, and he was kind of the more liberal teacher of the day. He, he was kind of like, nah, you know, if you, if you kind of look at it this way, you know, if you take that law and you kind of move it around a little bit and look at it over here, like, you know, maybe you can make this work. And he, just, he was just more liberal when it came to the teaching of the law. And ultimately, like, the, the, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were followers of Elder Hillel. They, they were the more liberal, believe it or not, even though they had all these rules and all these regulations, they, they followed a more liberal teaching of the day. They were followers of Elder Hillel, Rabbi Hillel. Now, what does this have to do with our text this morning? Well, one day, a non-Jew, somebody who is uh, a Gentile, right, came to uh, Rabbi Shema'i, okay, and said, here's the deal. I will actually convert to Judaism. I'll give my life to your God. I'll give my life to Yahweh. I'll convert to Judaism if you can teach me the Torah, the, 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 book of, the books of Moses, the, the Old Testament law, while standing on one foot. Teach me the whole thing while standing on one foot. And, El, and uh, Rabbi Shema'i um, looks at the man and says, you're an idiot. No, I'm not doing that. 
right? Um, that's not a direct quote, but it was something like that. He sent him away. He was like, no, that's dumb. That's stupid. Don't, don't, don't test me, right? Shema'ah is kind of like, he's like the stricter, stauncher one. He's like, no, I'm not doing that, right? That's, that's dumb. Like, don't, don't, don't put me to the test. Don't you know who I am? I'm a rock star rabbi. Don't, get, get out of here. And he sends the guy away. And the same guy goes to Elder Hillel and says, hey, here's the deal. I'll convert to Judaism if, if you teach me the law and the prophets. You teach me the, the Torah while standing on one foot. And to this day, there are statues in Israel of Elder Hillel standing on one foot. And the story goes, he stands on one foot and he says this to the man. He says, do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to you. This is the whole Torah the rest, the rest is commentary. Elder Hillel stands on one foot, says, do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to you. Things that, things that would hurt you, things that would be offensive to you, things that would be vile and gross to you, things that would, be, would, make, would make you upset. Don't, don't, don't do that to you, your neighbor. Don't do that to other people, right? This is the whole law. This is the whole prophets. This is the Torah. Everything else, everything else is just commentary. Everything else is just kind of, man, here's how we kind of get to this place where we don't do hateful things to our neighbor. And so when Jesus comes along, right, Jesus comes along and says this, his audience would not be like his, this Jewish first century Israel audience would not have been like, oh my gosh, this is mind-blowing. I've never heard anything like this. They would have said, yeah, I've heard something like that before. In fact, everybody knows that. Every, every Jew today knows the teaching of Elder Hillel. That's, a, that's an unbelievably famous phrase, an unbelievably famous saying. But what Jesus says is different. And his audience would have instantly, in a moment, they would have picked up on it. They would have realized, hang on, I've heard that before. But what you said is different than that. Elder Hillel speaks in the negative. He says, he says, do, do not do, do not do to your neighbor what would be hateful to you. Don't, 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 don't do the things that other people might do to you that would be hurtful to you. Don't, don't do that. But what Jesus says is whatever, whatever you would want done to you, do to your neighbor also. Do to others also. Whatever you would want done to you, do also to others. Jesus speaks in the positive way. Elder Hillel speaks in the negative. And, and I don't mean like positive as in good. I mean as positive as in proactive. He says, he says there's an action required of you. This is different than Hillel. And, and the reality is, is that for all of us, for, for you and me, that we prefer the way of Hillel. Even if you've never heard that story before, you have no idea who Elder Hillel is. You're like, I've never, that's, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. Listen, you, you like Elder Hillel, okay? You do, right? I, that we view loving our neighbor as just not being a jerk, right? Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't want to like, I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't want to um, just be annoying to my neighbor. And so therefore I'm not, I wouldn't want my, Neighbor to be annoying to me, and so therefore I'm, I'm not. Like, um, I, I, I view things in kind of in this way where it's like, man, I, I, would never, I would never want anybody to do that to me, so therefore I'm not going to do it to them. 
Like that would be horrible if somebody said that to me or treated me in that way. And so therefore I won't do them. Like, I, I'm, therefore I'm loving my neighbor. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You, you've misunderstood. That's, that's not it at all. How do you want to be treated? Now that question, friends, that's an insane question. That's going to require a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of energy on your part to actually think that through. How do you actually want to be treated? I, I, I want somebody to bring me hot brownies and ice cream on a rainy day. I mean, just, just being honest, like that would be, that'd be nice. Like I, I want somebody to, to mow my yard or shovel my drive when they know I'm out of town, like on vacation or, or doing whatever. Like that, that would be nice. I want somebody to stop by and like offer to help take care of my kids when I'm trying to do a project in the yard and they're like climbing all over me like a bunch of monkeys, like cute and adorable and fun monkeys, but monkeys nonetheless, okay? Um, I, I want people to believe the best in me, to not think, oh, Josh is doing this for some self. No, no, I want them to believe that I'm actually caring of them. I, I want people to be honest with me, come, come to me and be truthful with me, not, not talk about me behind my back. I want people to be forgiving of me when I do mess up, when I do do something that's wrong or dumb, to, to forgive and actually move on, to, to actually say, you know what, I forgive you, and let's just move on, and to actually do that, and not just say that, but like continue to hold a grudge for months or weeks or even years. Like What, what would that be like? What, what would it be like if the world actually began to live this way? What would it be like if just the Christians in the world said, I'm going to take a season of my life, the next few months, and I'm going to carve out time in my day to think about the things that I want from others? How do I want to be loved? How do I want to be treated? How do I want to be cared for? How do I want people to go out of their way for me? And then what would it be like if just the Christians in the world, just the people who claim to be followers of Jesus, actually began to live that out? Friends, the greatest evidence of our lack of faith, our lack of trust in Christ, our lack of belief, is the condition of the world around us right now. The reality is, is if, that if we live this out, if followers of Jesus, just followers of Jesus, live this out, right? If we if just followers of Jesus, live this out, world hunger would be eradicated in no time. Child slavery, sex trafficking, eradicated in a very, 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 very short period of time. Global injustices would be wiped out. Death from, 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 from non-lethal diseases right? Diseases that we have a cure for would be eradicated in such a short period of time. The, 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 the disparity in wealth would, would quickly, quickly become eroded if just followers of Jesus lived this out. And so many people would give their lives to Christ if just followers of Jesus lived this out. This is the sum of the way of Jesus, or as he puts it, as Jesus puts it, it's the sum of the law 
and the prophets. So often we think of the law and the prophets as kind of this, this rules of do's and don'ts, like this, this kind of like kill joy. Like, I mean, all the law does, it's like always like, don't, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Like, it's just nobody wants that, man. Nobody wants the law, right? All it does is create a bunch of like Ned Flanders who think they're better than everybody else. They're kind of like these shiny, happy people who never do anything wrong, right? And they're, but they're also kind of judgmental and hypocritical. Like that's the, that's the law, right? I mean, no, nobody wants that. Jesus says, that's not, that's not the law. In fact, Jesus has attacked that idea throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. For those of you who've been following along, back when he, the beginning, whole beginning section of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus attacking that idea. Saying, man, for the, all of the Pharisees and the scribes who have bought into the idea that that's the law, that the law is just a thing that's going to somehow make you more righteous than everybody else, you're wrong. No, you're, you're wrong. You're an idiot. Like, that's, that's not what the law is. The law is designed to create love. The law is designed to create love. Jesus says, man, all of these actions that, that the Pharisees are living out, all these actions, the religious elites, even in our day, the religious elites, the actions they live out, it's not the law. Just because they are performing they're performing these obedient actions. That's not the heart of the law. The heart of the law is not don't get a divorce. The heart of the law is not don't murder your neighbor. The heart of the law is not, um, is not uh, don't, don't commit adultery. The heart of the law is not do not covet your neighbor's stuff. That's not, the heart of the, that's not the heart of the law. Jesus says this in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. Um, he's asked by this um, lawyer, this kind of, Master of the law. He says, he's asking, man, what, what's the most important command? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and all of the prophets. Every bit of it, all, every ounce of the law sits on two commands. Love God and love people. All of it sits on that. That's the heart. It's the root of the law. Paul puts it this way in Romans 13, 8 through 10. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the heart of the law is just to love people. That's the heart of the law. The heart of the law, right? We don't, we don't not commit murder because murder is bad. Like, yes, murder is bad, but that's not why we don't, that's not why God says don't, don't murder people. He says don't murder people because you should be loving them. Like the person who loves the person doesn't murder them. He doesn't say, hey, don't steal your neighbor's stuff because stealing's bad. Yes, stealing's bad. But the part of the law is that we don't steal because we're loving. And when we love them, we don't steal. Don't, don't commit adultery. If, if we love them, we're not going to commit adultery, right? All of the law, all of the law is summed up in this word, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. 
Paul says it again in Galatians 5, 14. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James says it this way, James 2, 8. If you really fulfill, if you truly fulfill, if you truly follow the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. This is the heart of the law. It's the heart of the law. And everybody loves that. Everybody gets that. Every person on God's green earth says, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. I, I want to follow that. I want to obey that. Like, that's, that's it. That's the heart of the law. Everybody, every, even the people who are not followers of Jesus say, man, I love the teaching of Jesus. He was such a great teacher because it was all about love, man. Or the great prophets of our time, John Paul, George, and Ringo. Right? They, all you need is love, baby. That's all you need, right? We know all you need in all the world is just more love. If we could all just kind of master this, it would all be good. It would all be gravy. But that's not true. It's not true. You see, the world's idea of love is flawed. The world's idea of love is broken. The world's idea of love is Elder Hillel. Don't do things to people that you wouldn't want them to do to you. Therefore, I'm loving. That is not the love of Jesus. You see, everybody loves the golden rule. I said earlier, presidents and poets and celebrities love to quote the golden rule. Everybody knows it. Everybody, everybody quotes it all around the world, all different religions. Everybody quotes the golden rule. Everybody loves it. But nobody likes the golden warning. You see, what's attached to the golden rule is a warning. This whole last section of the Sermon on the Mount is about judgment. We talked about that last Sunday. And Jesus attaches these two things. Look at the very next verse. Here's what he says in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide that leads, for, sorry, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. Here's what Jesus says. Everybody's loving. It's true. Every human being on the planet Earth has the capacity for love. Everybody's loving, right? Whether they love their kid or they love their dog, whether they love their spouse or they love their best friend. Everybody loves somebody, right? There, there's something designed in our human nature that exudes love, right? We all love. We all love somebody. We all love somebody. And, and the whole world knows that love is a good thing. When we see love, we say, that's good. When we see hate, we say, that's bad. That's, it's not, you do not have to be a Christian to see that, right? But what Jesus is saying is, the way you love, the way you love matters in eternity. Your view of love matters in eternity. And the world's view of love is not Jesus' view of love. The world's view of love is not Jesus' view of love. We need to look within. The call is not simply to love your neighbor. 
but to love your neighbor as yourself, to do to them as you would want done to you. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He just doesn't say, don't do to them the things you wouldn't want done. He says, no, do to them the things that you would want done to you. The love of Jesus requires introspection. It requires us to go deep within ourselves and say, man, what do I want? What do I long for? What do I crave from others? And then to begin to extend that love to others. It's not just love. It's selfless love. This love is rare. Everyone loves Wide and easy is that way. And frankly, it leads to destruction, Jesus says. Most people in this world are walking that path. And friends, listen to me. That path of perceived love leads to destruction. It's the path of Hillel. I don't do things to people that I wouldn't want them to do to me. We've fooled ourselves into thinking that that's love. It's loving of me to not do things to somebody else that I wouldn't want them to do to me. Jesus says, that's not love. That's a perceived love. It's a perception of love. It's kind of this, this broken, sinful human nature of love. But Jesus says, man, I know what true love is. He teaches us about it. And then he demonstrates it to us. In John 15, Jesus says, man, Greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down their life for their friends. And then he goes and he does just that. He goes and he gives up his life for you. You see, the, the truth is, is that if, if, you, if you dive deep enough into yourself, if you go deep enough, the thing that you would want others to do for you, the greatest thing that you could ever want somebody to do for you, is to give up their life for you. Jesus says, man, I will give up my life for you. I will die in your place. I'll take your punishment. I'll take all of your brokenness and I will bear it on myself. I will become you. I will step in and I'll put on your shame and I'll put on your sin. I'll put on your brokenness and I'll bear the wrath that is due to you. I'll bear it on the cross. I will bleed out. I will die in your place so that you might be forgiven. This type of love is rare. It's rare. It's not common. The way is narrow. Not many people go down it. A way of selfless love, sacrificial love, Love that moves to protect at all costs. Love that moves to serve at all costs. Love that truly looks within and says, I'm going to do that. Love as a verb, as an action. Not just, I'm not going to do, or I'm going to avoid doing these things that might hurt somebody. No, I'm going to go out of my way to selflessly love, to selflessly engage, to selflessly protect, to selflessly go after the people around me. Not just my friends, not, not just my family, but my enemies, those who are far off, those who are on a different side of the political aisle as me, those who are in a different religion as me, those who 
have completely different opinions as me, those who are antagonistic towards me, this is the love of Christ. It requires you to go deep, deep within yourself and say, how do I want to be loved? And then lift your gaze to a world who has misunderstood love completely and begin to teach them by doing it, by actually living it out. This, this is the sum of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the sum of the call of God in your life. And if you are actually a Christian, if you've actually given your life to Jesus, this is required of you. The way you choose to think about love has eternal implications for your life. Eternal implications for your life. And eternal implications for the lives of many. Wide is the gate. It's easy. Easy is the path of the world's view of love. But if you want to love as Jesus loved, it's narrow and it's hard. But I want to invite you this morning to begin to walk it. To begin to walk it. And the first step is this. This morning, right now, just begin to give time in your day and give time in your life to go deep within yourself. What do I want from others? What do I want from people on that side of the political aisle? What do I want from people who have that mindset or that view? What do I want from people who don't like me? What do I want from people who I don't like? What do I want from my boss? What do I want from my coworker? What do I want um, from my employees? What do I want from my spouse? What do I want from my kids? And then lift your gaze and go to that. Not because they're going to do it in return, but because Christ has already done it for you. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you this morning knowing that we are guilty of loving in a way that is not of you. We think we are fulfilling the requirements of the law. We think we're, we're, we're living as Christ lives and we're living under this kind of this fog of foolishness. We are not loving. We're just decent. Would you teach us? Would you show us? Would the gospel of Jesus be so overwhelming and so powerful in our hearts and in our minds? Would it stir us? Would it stir us to love? Would I say, would we say, I want my life to look like Jesus, and so therefore I must love as Jesus loved. Give us selflessness. Give us servanthood. Give us the capacity for true Christ-like love. I pray these things in his name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Flourishing grace, hey, we love you. We love you. If you have any questions about the house church gatherings, please, please contact us. Go to our website, flourishinggrace.org. If, if the answers are not there, contact us. We would love to get you plugged in. We'd love to answer your questions. Um, next week's gonna be amazing. Be safe. We love you. Have a great week.